well, if you would please turn your Bibles with me to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. And again, uh, what a joy it is to, to be with you in your home this morning. Uh, if, I, if I can't be with you in church, uh, invading your home is the next best option. And uh, during, during the singing, I was uh, watching some of the singing on, on YouTube, trying to experience it the same way that, that you are as well. And uh, just, just appreciate the, the sweet comments and seeing uh, God's people interacting with, with one another in kind of some, some different ways this morning. We're celebrating, of course, uh, the Lord's resurrection, and uh, I want to read from Matthew chapter 28 and uh, focus on what we see here in Matthew's retelling of the story of the resurrection. I'll begin in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this, this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection. And Father, this morning as, as we begin as a church to, to pray corporately, I, I pray Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1, after he has, has blessed your name for your incredible salvation, for the, the work of the triune God and bringing us into relationship with you, he, he prays this, for this reason, this is in Ephesians 1, 
verse 15, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so, Father, I I thank you for your saints. I thank you for the love that they have expressed toward one another during this this difficult time. I thank you for the the stories that I'm I'm hearing of of people uh, calling one another and and getting groceries for one another and and wanting to, to financially help each other Father, we recognize that this is, this is your work and your saints, and so we, we praise you for that this morning. Father, I thank you for the, the way in which you can enlighten our hearts, and I, and I pray that for my, my brothers and sisters this morning as well, that you would give them during this time an understanding of the hope to which we have been called and, and the glorious inheritance that, that is yours, that, that is ours in you, and so, Father, we pray that right now, as you, you strip things away from us, that we would have a greater understanding of what it means to have an inheritance in heaven awaiting us. We pray that we live according to that. And then I, I pray for the, the power, that the power that you worked in your son Jesus to raise him from the dead, I pray that that power would be at work among your saints as well today and throughout this week, throughout this time. I, I pray that we would take comfort in your power, that you would work that power in the hearts of those who are hurting this morning, uh, for those who are struggling with finances, for those who are just kind of on, on edge this morning with the, the worries and anxieties of, of this time. I, I pray that for your saints. I pray this morning for our brothers and sisters who are proclaiming your gospel throughout the world Lord, we know that this has affected their ministries in, in very profound ways, and so we pray that you would sustain them. I, I, I pray for those who are stuck in their homes, for those who are under very tight quarantine situations. I, I pray for our, our sister, who I believe is joining us th- this morning, who was texting with me and Whitney last night, and, and just pray for her and her ministry. I pray that you would give her the ability to continue to persevere in you. We pray that all the, the technological issues that she's working with will, will work out well. We pray for just encouragement uh, for her and for her team and for those uh, who, with whom she's working. We pray for continued gospel fruit in her life and the lives of those that she loves so dearly. And Father, we pray for all our, our sister churches this morning. We recognize that uh, this is not a, a typical Resurrection Sunday. This is not uh, ideally how your church meets, and so I, I pray that you would sustain our, our sister churches as well. I, I think specifically of uh, the church who has given so much to us, even our very, through you, through, uh, through your work, they've given us our existence. We pray for Bethany Baptist Church and continued uh, joy for them, faithfulness in ministry. We pray for those saints as they gather together this morning in different capacities, different ways to proclaim the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. 
And then, Father, we pray. I, I pray for our time of looking at, at this text. I pray that our lives would be transformed by it. And I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're here in uh, Matthew 28. We looked at Matthew 27 when we were together on Friday evening. And so I want to continue in Matthew chapter 28. And before we start talking about that chapter, I want to talk a little bit about something called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is an ancient confession of faith that believers have been reciting in in some form for for almost 2,000 years. And as we, we talk through this, I'm, gonna, I'm going to read it. The words of the Apostles' Creed are going to be at the bottom of your screen. And maybe you might want to read this with me out loud in your home. Here, here's what the Creed says. And, and by the way, uh, this, this Creed, we, all believers believe these things in the Creed. Now, we believe more than the things in this Creed. True Christians do. But we, we certainly don't believe less. So here, here's the Apostles' Creed. You can recite it with me if you wish in, there in your home. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come, to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, those words that that maybe you you just spoke, that confession, that creed, again, that's a creed that that Christians have been confessing for almost 2,000 years the truths in that. In fact, many of our our brothers and sisters in Christ have paid for that confession, for making that confession with their very lives. In fact, it's said that that some Christians who were martyred on their way to their martyrdom would recite the Apostles' Creed as they prepared to pay for those beliefs with their lives. And all Christians from the beginning of the, the, the age of the disciples until today, all Christians who, who believe in that confession and live out that belief in their lives, all of us pay some price for that belief. The belief that, that Jesus Christ was, came, lived a perfect life, was crucified for our sins, was buried, placed in a tomb, and rose on the third day, and is coming again to, to judge the living and the dead. Belief in that. Uh, affirmation of those truths and, and truly believing those cannot help but change our lives. You cannot believe in the resurrection and not have it uh, truly affect your life. And our brothers and sisters who made that confession and believed it, paid for it with their lives, you and I who confess it and believe it, it, it costs us as well. I want us to to think about the truth of the resurrection and what happens to us if we truly believe it. In other words, if the resurrection is true and I believe that it's true, what effect does it have on my life? And I want to focus on on two primary ways that belief in the resurrection 
uh, affects our lives. And these, these ways have to do with our, our worship and our discipleship, what, what I value and what I do with what I value. Two primary ways we're going to talk about in our time of meditating on Matthew 28 and the story of the resurrection that Matthew gives us here. Two primary ways that belief in the resurrection affects us. It affects what I worship, what, what I value, and then it also affects my discipleship, what I, what I do on the basis of what I value. In fact, here's kind of the primary central idea that I want us to talk about together this morning. My conviction that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead is the core belief that shapes everything about me. That confession that, that I make, that I truly believe, that conviction that Jesus Christ, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, that is the core belief in my life that changes everything about me. That must be true of me if I truly believe in the story of Easter, the story of the resurrection, and it must be true of you as well. So let's, let's break that down and walk through this chapter and, and see these two things about belief in the resurrection and how it affects me. Number one, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and so I worship him. My, my belief in the resurrection that this truly happened affects what I value, and therefore it affects how I approach worship of Jesus. Let's, let's look at the text. So, the end of chapter 27, remember Joseph of Arimathea has placed Jesus in the tomb, and the women come back to the tomb. Verse 1 of chapter 28 says that uh, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and other Mary went to see the tomb. And this scene greets them. Here's how, here's how Matthew tells us these things went down. It says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, verse 2, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And, and the guards who are there, Matthew tells us, they trembled, they become like dead men. And the angel speaks to the women. And the angel says, Don't be afraid. I know that you're seeking Jesus who was crucified. And then he gives them good news. He says, he's not here for he's risen, just as he said he would. And then the angel offers them proof. He says, come and, and see the place where he was. Notice he's not here any longer. Now, I want you, says the angel to the women, go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. You will see him see, I've told you. Now, we, we've talked about this before on Easter Sundays. It's interesting how each gospel writer focuses on some different aspects of the story of the resurrection. All of them share some of the elements of the resurrection. For example, all of them talk about how initially Jesus' disciples doubted. All of the resurrection accounts talk about how the women are the first to find out. And all of the resurrection accounts talk about how the result of encountering the risen Lord is an absolute conviction of the truth of the resurrection. That, that comes across in all the accounts. But each account sometimes focuses on some, some different things, some unique elements. Matthew, in his account, focuses on, on worship. It's one of the things that he focuses on. 
So notice here, they've, they've been told that Jesus has risen from the dead, and they begin to obey the angel's instructions. They depart quickly from the tomb. They, it says it's with fear and great joy, which is very understandable, right? And they, they go to be obedient. They go to tell his disciples. And then verse 9 says this, And behold, there is Jesus. <laughs> they, they come face to face with Jesus, and he says, greetings. And the women respond this way. It says, they came up and they took hold of his feet. And what did they do? You see it there in your text? That they worshiped him. And really, how could you respond any other way? You've seen Jesus crucified. You're on your way to anoint him with spices to prepare his his body for, for this burial. And instead, Instead, you encounter an angel. There's an earthquake. The angel tells you he's risen. He shows you the place where Jesus was. And now there is Jesus risen from the dead exactly as he said he would do. How could you do anything but worship? Go down. Skip the story of the report of the guards. And you you come down into verse 16 where the disciples meet up with Jesus on the mountain to which he directed them. And then verse 17, they saw him. What do they do? They, they worshipped him. This Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, as you think about the truth of the resurrection and what it means practically, if I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I cannot do anything but worship him. You see, you and I understand even more about what had just happened than the disciples and the women to encounter the risen Lord. As time goes on and, and God furthers his revelation through the teaching of, of his apostles, we begin to understand more and more about what Jesus had accomplished on the cross. In fact, uh, John Frame in, in uh, one of his works talks about kind of four words that, that help us understand the resurrection. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of talk about these four words and, and you can see how these four things that Jesus accomplished helps us respond in worship uh, some of the words are kind of big words. Maybe they're, they're older words uh, that, that have been translated different ways now. But, but these are all four words that we encounter in Scripture. Okay? So these are all four very important words that describe what Jesus' death and accomplished and what his resurrection proves that he accomplished. The first word is the word expiation. Okay, that's kind of a, a big word, expiation. Sometimes we use the word atonement, but, but this is a little more specific than just atonement. Expiation means the removal of sins. It means the removal of sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 talks about how Jesus was made sin for us. So, so here's, here's our sin, and God, God removes our sin from us and places it on Jesus Christ. Our sin is expiated. It's, 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 it's paid for by Jesus Christ as he takes on our sin for us. And we receive his righteousness. And another word is the word propitiation. You encounter that word a lot in the New Testament. And, and that word means the, the turning away of God's wrath. So, for example, in Romans, we read that all have sinned, in Romans 3, and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, a propitiation. That means a, a complete satisfaction. His wrath is completely turned away because Jesus is a propitiation, a complete satisfaction for the penalty of our sins. A propitiation by his blood 
to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So Jesus Christ, as, as they see the resurrected Lord, what has Jesus just accomplished? He's expiated sin. He's removed sin. He's, he's taken our sin from us, and now we have the ability to receive his righteousness through faith. He's, he's offered complete satisfaction. He's complete propitiation. That's the second word there, that God's wrath is completely turned away from us. Another word that we see used in Scripture is the word Reconciliation. His death, because he's removed our sin, because we can receive his righteousness, we're reconciled to God. We're back in relationship with him. And a fourth word is the word redemption. We're redeemed. We're no longer slaves to sin, but because of God's work in Christ on the cross, we're redeemed. We've We've been purchased by his blood. Now, if the women and the disciples can encounter Jesus and, and see what he's accomplished, just, just in being alive again and can worship, how much more can, can you and I worship as we contemplate the things that Christ has accomplished? There, there's a couple options for you this morning as you hear the story of the resurrection. Uh, option, option number one, you can, you can believe the story of the resurrection, or you can hear the story of the resurrection. You can say, you know what, I, I, I don't believe it, I doubt it. Now, if, if that's your response to the story of the resurrection, then it, it makes perfect sense for you to not live a life in obedience to Christ. Christ has no more authority over you than, uh, than, than Santa Claus in that situation, right? So just as Santa Claus tells you you need to not be naughty and you need to be nice. I mean, Jesus Christ says the same thing. You don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What authority does he have over you? That, that's certainly understandable if that's your position this morning. Another option for you, though, is as you hear the story of the resurrection and, and Christ's resurrection and his death and resurrection, the other option that many people take is to, to say they believe it, but it's not, it's not a true belief. It's a, it's a belief that is uh, a belief of... of intellect or assent, like I, I think that these things may be true, maybe it's better safe than sorry, but it's not a, a true biblical faith that changes lives. My, uh, one of my children one time told me, they said, look, uh, Dad, I've, uh, I've been watching so many, this was one Christmas, I, I've been watching so many Santa Claus stories that I've decided just to be on the safe side, I'm going to go ahead and believe in Santa Claus because I've, I've seen what happens to children who don't, right? And I think some people take that response to Jesus. Say, you know what? Um, I don't know for sure, but I might as well believe some nice things about Jesus. He seems like a good guy. And yet, as we look at our lives, if that's us this morning, we recognize that, look, my, my life doesn't reflect the, the life of a true disciple of Jesus. My, my life reflects the life of a person who, who says they believe in the resurrection, and yet my life isn't devoted to worship of Christ. Then the third option, though, of course, is for us to hear the story of the resurrection and to be so completely overwhelmed by the truth that Jesus Christ, God himself, became human, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, and and died for our sins and then brings us back into relationship with him through faith. To be so overwhelmed by that 
that we trust in him and worship, recognizing his great value. If I believe in the resurrection, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so I worship, I cannot do anything else. It affects what I value. If I truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no greater value than Jesus. There's nothing else that I could possibly worship that comes close, and so that's, that's manifest in my life. Now, secondly, secondly, though, this morning, I want us to think about this. I, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and so I make disciples. That, that's the other way that belief in the resurrection affects us and that we see in this passage. In fact, a lot of times, and tur- turn to the end of the chapter there, we see what we call the, the Great Commission. This is Jesus' instructions to his disciples as they leave. A lot of times, we just kind of look at, at these verses by themselves. Maybe you've been to a missions conference and someone has talked on these verses, and I think that's, of course, very appropriate. But I, I love how Matthew ties the Great Commission to the resurrection. The resurrection and the Great Commission are not two separate events. They're, they're all part of the this, this same story that Matthew is telling us about Jesus as he comes to the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Jesus comes to them, and, and he makes this strong claim. And if you believe in the resurrection, you believe that Jesus has the authority to make this claim on us. He says, I, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew 11 would say, all things have been handed over to me. John 3, Jesus would say in verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Philippians chapter 2 says that God highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So this Jesus, that Jesus with that authority looks at his disciples and his final words are this, look, all authority has been given to me, and with the, with the fullness of the authority that I have as God, and this is my instruction to you as risen Lord. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And the main instruction there, the main imperative of that passage is to make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. With all the authority of the resurrected Lord, Jesus has commanded you to make disciples. Jesus has commanded you to make it the the passion of your life to, to make disciples. And it's an astonishing reality that for many of us who would say that we believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, that this is not a more central part of our lives, right? As we look at where we are right now in life, this, this time, for the person whose life has been defined by the resurrection, even though sports are canceled, even though Uh, Work is canceled for some of us, even though worship services are canceled for a period of time, even though all these things have changed, for those who truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus, whose life is defined by making disciples, nothing has changed. That continues to be the passion of our lives. If I truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe that these words are authoritative, and I'm going to do everything I can to be obedient to them. 
You know, it's, it's so easy to get distracted, right? It's so. I was talking about this uh, on, on the way here this morning with, with my daughter. I said, you know what? Uh, sometimes I, I myself forget the, the purpose of a message. I forget the, the purpose of, of why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I mentioned earlier, uh, <laughs> we've had some hiccups, right? We've had some hiccups as we've made this, this transition a, as a church, and there have been some, some weeks where the technology hasn't cooperated and things haven't quite gone. And, and by the way, the people that you're not seeing on screen right now, those are, <laughs> those are some of the most uh, uh, great servants of the church right now. Just so appreciative for, for them and all the work they've done to, to get the technology up and going and, and the worship team and Mike and all. I could go on, but, but here's the deal. We can get distracted with, with what we're really supposed to be doing. I, I read a, a tweet this past week from a guy named Brian Croft, and he was talking, uh, he's, he's a guy who does a lot of uh, coaching for pastors. And he, said, he wrote this, he says, I'm, I'm connecting with many pastors this week, feeling great pressure to do something amazing for Easter this Sunday, right? And, and, and I, I feel that as well. I know a lot of us feel that, okay, we've got we to gotta do something and he said this, he says, pastors, just be faithful. That pressure is often a, a mixture of self-imposed and congregational pressure that is not from God. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. He says, after 15 years, I pastor a church with 75 members with an annual budget of $103,000. Pastors, let no one measure the significance of your ministry based on the amount of people and money in your church. And that's a good statement to pastors, but it's applicable to all of us. What has God called us to do? He's called us to make disciples. And here in the text, he tells us, look, there's three ways. You go, you're, you're in people's lives, you're wherever God has called you in, in their lives, talking to them about Christ. You're baptizing them. In other words, you're bringing them into to fellowship with other believers. They're being baptized, becoming members of the church, becoming members of the community. And, and you're teaching. You're, you're taking God's word and you're instructing them in, in what Jesus has taught and what uh, God has taught through his, his prophets and apostles. That's, brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing. If I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I, I believe that it's my, my goal in life to make disciples, to take the the, the energies that God has given me, the, the resources, the time, the talents, the, the abilities, and, and funnel them in to presenting Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, so that other people can worship him as well. If I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I make, it, I make disciples. This Sunday, as you have the opportunity to, to meditate on the truth of the resurrection with, with your family, or with, with whoever you have a relationship with. A ask yourself these two questions from, from Matthew 28. Do I believe in the resurrection? And first of all, is that by belief in the resurrection causing me to worship Jesus more fully, to, to, to strip away all these other things that demand my, my time, my attention, to, to strip those away and say, ultimately, my, my worship is in Christ. And, and then secondly, is that which I value being manifest in, in what I'm spending my time doing is if i look at my time is it is it the the time that i'm spending is it being used to make disciples for jesus am i investing in people's lives so they can come closer to christ and walk with him in greater obedience is that the passion of my ministry and life and talents as well my prayer for all of us is this that our conviction 
that Jesus Christ lived, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead by the power of, of God, that that conviction would be a core belief that shapes everything about us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning for the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the power that is exhibited in that resurrection. And, and Father, now we pray that that power would be manifest in our lives. I pray that our worship of you would be undistracted, that we would not be dis distracted by the other things of the world, but our, our hope and our value would be in your son, Jesus, alone. And we pray that that which we value would be manifest in what we do, that our lives would be spent for the proclamation of your son Jesus, calling others to walking in discipleship after him. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.